0: That was wonderful. Thank you, choir. Thank you, instrumentalists. I know Robert's watching on the Internet. Hey, Robert, hope you're feeling better. I've been preaching on The Deliverer Has Come. Five messages from the Christmas story about how God delivers us through His Son, Jesus. And what it means that He is the Deliverer. Today I want to go to Luke chapter 1. To one of the three songs that are associated with the Christmas story. Mary's song called the Magnificat. Because of its first word in Latin. It begins in verse 46 of Luke one. There's another song, Zacharias song, that is recorded after this. And then of course the angel sang. So there's lots of singing at the first Christmas. Somebody said that Mary's Magnificat is one of the most ancient hymns of the church, probably the most ancient Christian hymn. And uh, I think it qualifies as such in the scripture. In verse 46 of chapter 1 of Luke, we've already seen Zechariah encountering an angel in the temple. Zechariah is John the Baptist's dad. He and Elizabeth have had no children. It is a grief to them. His rotation comes around. He's part of the division of Abijah in the priestly caste. And his rotation comes around just twice a year and there's too many priests in the cast for everybody to minister in the temple. And so they cast lots and Zechariah is chosen by lot. Now, I don't know how to verify this scholarship. But I have read this week that a Jewish scholar who is part of the University of Jerusalem Discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls how the 24 priestly castes rotated in their ministry in the temple. We knew that they rotated. We knew Abijah was number eight, but we didn't know what dates they were assigned. It turns out, according to this scholar, as published in a respectable newspaper in Italy, that the division of Abijah served twice a year, as did all the castes, and that one of them was the last week of September. Well, you can do the math. Six months later is the last week of March, when Mary hears from the angel, and nine months later is the last week of December. Now, we've all been told that Christmas is a Christianized pagan holiday. But I've been reading research that disputes that and suggests to us it is actually on or very near the date that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I had somebody tell me, no, no, they would never have had their lambs in December. Haven't you ever been around sheep? Didn't I just show you a pair of twins that were born at the end of November? Don't you know that they do lamb in December? And that when they are lambing, the shepherds stay in the field all night. Now, I don't know the day Jesus was born, but I think it's intriguing to think about the possibility That as we gather to celebrate Christmas, this could be very near the time when Jesus is born. Not pagan roots, but Christian roots to this date. Mary visits Elizabeth when she hears from the angel. She hurried to the hill country, according to verse 39. And Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. That's verse 45. And then Mary breaks into song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, he has scattered those who were proud in their inmost scotch. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Home, Young families, moms and dads, wannabe moms and dads, there is a wonderful instruction in the Christmas story for we who parent, for we who hope to, For grandparents who care about the little ones. For everybody involved in the lives of the little ones. Mary begins her song. Giving glory to the Lord. So I would say to you parents. Whether your time is difficult or well it's easy. Or whether it's easy. Glorify the Lord at this time in your life. Mary could have found reason to grumble instead of glorify. All right? She could have. Anybody can. She has a very difficult road to travel. The angel has announced that she's going to be pregnant and she's not married. It could have been a time for frustration and discouragement for this young woman. Instead, she chooses to glorify the Lord. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In fact, her comments and her song are most closely uh, parallel to the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah was another lady who had trouble conceiving, and it was a great grief to her. And she prayed and prayed unto the lord and you remember that hannah went to the temple having been uh wanting and longing for a child for years and she prayed at the at shiloh at the worship center there and she was just crying out to god and and her lips were moving but uh she wasn't saying anything audible and eli the priest saw her and thought she was drunk you remember the story and he said woman get away from that wine And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring my heart out before the Lord. And Eli said, well, the Lord has heard your prayer. And Hannah says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry, hunger no more. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and rises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sent those with princes and has made them inherit a throne of honor. From the foundations of the earth, the Lord has set the world upon them. The poor and needy are exalted in the song of Hannah, just as they are in the song of Mary. Mary glorifies the Lord not only in her words, but also in her deeds. And we went through this yesterday in the men's prayer breakfast as we talked about bringing justice to those who are oppressed. We have people who are oppressed in our day who are in actually human bondage. And many of them are underage minors who have been trapped in the sex trade. And so we were talking about that yesterday and our responsibility to live a life of purity so that we can speak to that trade that blight on our culture and we noted with the men how participating in pornography assists the exploiter of the child and the woman and you become complicit with those who bring them down and and put them in bondage and part of standing up in purity and truth in our culture is refusing pornography because you don't want to be part of human trade and because you want to glorify God with your life and your words. Mary glorifies God not only by her speech, but with her attitude in her heart, in her obedience and submission. As she says, when the, angel, when the angel says to her, you're going to have a baby, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And even though it's a hard road, and a difficult road, she knows. She's willing to say to God, I give you all the glory. I magnify your name. Wherever you are in life, whatever your journey, it will help you today as a young mom or dad or an expectant mother or dad to say, I'm going to give God glory. I'm going to magnify his name today. That's going to be my attitude, my focus. It's the way I'm going to approach life. Even though this may be difficult and a trying time, I'm going to do it. Now, Mary says in this song, God has been mindful. I'm going to magnify you, my soul magnifies the Lord, for you have been mindful of the low estate of your servant. And she believes that God's been paying attention to her. It's not the first time that the thoughts of God have amazed human beings. In Psalm 139, the writer says there, How wonderful are your thoughts to me, O oh God. I can't even number them. I'm surrounded by your thoughts. Think of the Lord of heaven and earth. Having his mind and heart set on you. Being mindful of you. And maybe the lowliest state that is yours that God would even think about us. It stuns us. We are awestruck. Mary is awestruck. God's been mindful of me. Maybe as a young woman, she was going about her life wondering if God was paying attention. And suddenly an angel intervenes in her life. And she realizes, God indeed is paying attention to me. I am favored. The Lord is with me. And he is mindful of me. Joseph was inclined to break the engagement when he discovered Mary was going to have a baby and he was not the father. He was of a mind to put her away privately, quietly, with as much dignity as he could, But his first impulse was, I don't want to be the father of a child that is not mine biologically. I don't want to marry a woman with this kind of reputation. That was his first impulse. God is watching over Mary and his son to this extent. What's that about? (laughs) Oh, I see. It's uh, Trey Gibson came in. All right. Yeah, it's good to see you, Trey. Yeah. Thanks for lighting him up. (laughs) Hey. Mary could have been a single parent, right? She could have done this by herself. Women do that. They do that all the time. You know, in 2010, 44% of the babies born in America were born out of wedlock. Hey, if single moms can do this, why get married to a man with questions? (laughs) Hey, you're thinking about breaking this engagement? Fire with me, I can do this by myself. God doesn't want it that way. God does not want Mary to be a single parent. Why? Because every child born on the planet has a better shot at life and love and education and finances if mom and dad are in that home and love that child. Marriage is good for babies. So God intervenes in Joseph's life while he's thinking about cutting off this relationship. And he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, I want you in this picture. I want you there. He's my one and only son and you're going to be his earthly dad and he needs you as protector and provider He'll be better off when Herod comes with his swords as they flee to Egypt, when they come back to Nazareth, as he grows up to have you in that home loving him and caring for him. So God casts his vote for a mom and dad, for his boy, when he grows up by talking to Joseph through the angel and saying, I want you to stay in this engagement. Now, look what Joseph gets to experience. Not just loving on a baby boy that he takes as his own and cares for. But all of a sudden, Carpenter Joseph is living the life of a man engaged in the purposes of God. (laughs) I mean, he's surrounded by the presence of God. God's talking to him while he's in Nazareth. He's talking to him while he's in Egypt. He's giving him instructions. He's waking him in his dreams. He's intervening in his life. Some people think that Joseph may have been an older man. I don't know how old he was. Some people think he might have been a widower. Maybe he was. I don't know all the circumstances of his life, but I know this. Saying yes to marrying Mary who was having a baby not his own brought the wonder of God into this man's life. God affirms marriage in a lot of ways. And right here with Mary and Joseph he says this is a good thing and Joseph I want you to take Mary to be your wife. We need a resurgence of the value of marriage in our culture, among our children. There is a high level of fear about marriage in so many people's minds and hearts. Joseph is afraid That's why the angel says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Now, it's true. I've been married 40 years, all my adult life, all right? A little bit of my childhood. (laughs) Been married a long time. Hey, I love being married, it's wonderful. I love having children and grandchildren had another one this week, you know. (laughs) Little Graham, nearly sat on him, he was laying on the ottoman, he was so small, I scared myself. I love being married. I love my wife and I've loved her almost since the moment I saw her in the halls of the high school where we went to school, we're high school sweethearts. But it's not just because my experience of marriage has been wonderful and positive. It's because God says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. I'm going to bring this helper to him. I'm going to unite them. It's not good for Mary to be alone with this baby. I'm going to intervene in Joseph's life and I'm going to encourage him to marry her. Because my boy will be better cared for with that protector and provider. That man in the home who loves her. Mary says, God has been mindful of my situation. I think in part because Joseph goes through with a wedding. And he's going to stay with Mary. God's going to take care of her. And you know, maybe you have fears in your mind about marriage. And I sure don't want you to run into it helter-skelter, okay? But marriage is like everything else. You receive it in faith and trust and love. And when we operate in fear, we're not really doing what God said do. He said, whatever is not of faith is sin. So let's be full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit and seek to follow God. Joseph and Mary... Experience God paying attention to them. I want you to know God's paying attention to you today. Not just Mary. Not just Joseph. But you as well. God so loved the world, including you, that he gave his one and only son. He was thinking of you when he sent his son. Not just of Mary and Joseph, but me as well we were on his heart as he crafted a way to bring us back into his family through the sacrifice of his son upon the cross God was thinking of us sinners Chuck Kelly it's always good to have you in church president of our seminary he shared a devotional this week where he told us the only people God had to love was sinners That's all he had on the planet. And so God loved sinners, you and me, in sending his son, Jesus. That's behind the whole flavor of this song where the humble are exalted and the princes are made low. Humble up, princes down. What are you talking about here, Mary? Is it the social order of things? Maybe in part, God cares about those who have no voice, those who are vulnerable. Pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit who? The widows and the orphans. Widows and orphans, people who are vulnerable. The children, the little ones. God cares about them. So the humble are up in the attention and heart and mind of God. The lowly, the ones that pass everybody else's radar, they're on God's radar. He loves them. And the princes are brought low. I can't read Mary's prayer without thinking about her son Jesus and how he said later on, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And when they reflect on what God did in Jesus, they say in a hymn in Philippians chapter 2, you know, the Son of God, he, he emptied himself. He laid aside his divine prerogatives. He took on himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man... He humbled himself even further and became obedient unto death, even unto death, and not just any death, but death on a cross. Cursed. Cursed is anybody who hangs on a tree, who is executed on the tree. He was indeed cursed, made low for us. He went all the way to the bottom. And having done so and emptied himself, God has highly exalted him. Now that hymn begins with this admonition. You have this mind that was also in Christ Jesus. You have this mindset, dad, mom, brother, sister, grandpa. You have this mindset, like Jesus, who although he was God, did not consider that something to be grasped, but humbled himself. Let that be you. Let that be your mindset. This Christmas season, if you be the servant in the family, if you serve your wife, your children, the rest of the family, if you take the form of a servant, if you take up the towel and you wash feet, you will be following in the footsteps of Mary's son, Jesus, who taught us that God is bringing a great reversal. And the things we think exalt people actually often bring them down. And the things we think make them weak and lowly, God uses to bring them up. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. That's what the great teacher from Nazareth says. Sometimes... We come before God in worship feeling like we are so flattened, so small, so low that God could never pay attention to us. We are too young, we are too old, we are too sick. We feel like we are not on God's radar anymore because of things that have happened or things we have done. It is a moment of truth to hear Mary say, you have been mindful of the condition and estate of your servant. And to hear that in our own heart, he's mindful of you. Hey, you're the one who is fearfully and wonderfully made. It's you whose bones were knit together in your mother's womb, even before you were born by the fingers of God it's you for whom God knew all the days assigned for you when as yet there was not one of them it's you that he reached down to rescue the one who he made his special creation he reached down to rescue you by sending his son, Jesus. The truth of the Christmas story is once we empty ourselves of our pride, our self-righteousness, all the illusions of how good we are, face up to our own sinfulness. That we are sinners! Not just once, not just twice, but day by day. We are sinners, and our sins are not little bitty things. Sometimes they are truly wicked things. And they hurt people, and they hurt ourselves. And this is who we are, and we are broken to the core. When we finally realize that we and ourselves cannot measure up, that we do not have it in us, only then are we ready for the Savior sent to rescue us his name is Jesus and he didn't come to call the people who are already righteous and all the folks who are already hit well he came to call sinners and the sick to repentance and to himself let's bow together Thank You, God, that You care for us with such attention to the detail of our lives that Your mind is bent toward us this very day, this very moment. Thank You, Lord, that even in the celebration of Christmas and the remembering of these accounts of the angels and the songs that were sung and and the journeys that were made, in the midst of this, Your Holy Spirit speaks to us and draws us to Yourself. God, I pray for that man or woman who has never yet confessed their own need of a Savior. That man or woman for whom the Christmas story is irrelevant because they really don't need the rescue. Thank you, God, that you called his name Jesus. Because he forgives our sin. And I pray today by your Holy Spirit you will convict, you will draw, you will teach us who we are, show us our own desperate condition and how deeply and completely each one of us individually, every man and woman, every young person, every boy and girl in this room need the rescue that only Jesus provides